The clock is ticking as a submersible on an expedition down to the Titanic has gone missing about 700 kilometers south of St. John's, Newfoundland. We had four by elections in Canada yesterday, two of them in Winnipeg. Nothing really changed. The names may have changed, but the parties did not. So, what does that mean moving forward, particularly for Maxime Bernier, who failed in his bid to win a seat in Portage Lisgar? We had a great breakfast with the Bombers chat today with kicker Sergio Castillo, where we learned something rather interesting about him and tacos and the sideline after a drumline. And today we had a great time celebrating good neighbors. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, June 20th podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I know the word by-election isn't the kind of summer blockbuster word that triggers... <laughs> Levels of excitement inside, but it's certainly anything biannual bicycle. I don't know. Just, you know, but I was so curious because I'm in Winnipeg South Center with the 48 names on that ballot because of that protest from the uh, the longest ballot initiative. And uh, so I was curious, what is this ballot going to physically look like? (laughs) And when I, I saw the I saw the pad on the like it's like this giant notepad i saw it on the table and i thought that can't be it and sure enough they hand me this thing it it was like half the size of a movie poster i had i put it down on the table and i put my arm beside it and from fingertip to elbow the sheet of paper was longer than that oh my so it was at least 19 inches long that's ludicrous <laughs> and then when i brought it back up i saw i had to fold it up in four ways and then the woman behind the counter had to fold it up like six. It felt like she was doing origami. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could barely jam this thing into the ballot box. It was huge. I was wondering if the ballot boxes, were they any different than no. what you'd seen in the past? No, it was a typical ballot box. Just the, the slot, I guess, was standard. But because the ballot was so thick when it was folded up, it was like, oh, come on, get in there. There's probably some rules about... Like, I wonder if the slot has to remain a certain size. Like, I don't know how that works, but they, they're pretty strict on, you know, the box must be this Point. this way and place, place this way. So, like, the bigger the ballot gets and, and you're just cramming this giant thing in there because there were 48 names on that ballot as a protest vote. I looked this morning, every single one of those names that was just on there as a as a protest candidate got at least one to six, maybe ten votes. But, uh, oh, there was, I was wondering if anyone got zero. So there was people that went in and through were protesting for that name or or didn't know what they were looking at because there were the traditional parties, the Green, the NDP, the Liberals and the Conservatives and the Liberals won. Uh, that was their writing before and remains their writing now. But yeah, like every single one on there got a couple of votes. But I'm not sure if they, the point was made to your point that you were trying to make, Greg, and whether this actually drives home their concerns that the first past the post method is not a voting system they like. I suppose we've spoken about it more than we would have otherwise. So yeah. when yeah. you, if, if, if you're talking about the philosophy of any advertising or any conversation is good conversation when it comes to things that you're passionate about, any publicity is good publicity, as they say in Hollywood. And it got ah, me through the did. door. So maybe it did. Maybe it did have an impact. 
Like I was tight for time yesterday, wondering, oh boy, am I going to have time to sneak this in because I missed the advance? Uh, but I, I was like, I got to go. I got to see this ballot. So it got me in the building, got me to vote, and there we go. So How long did you wait? Were there other people there to vote when you were there? Yeah, I was actually pretty busy, but I was in and out. There was, I had to wait for 90 seconds while the guy in front of me cast his vote, and then I That's got pretty to pretty quick, up. eh? Yeah, well, they had, I don't know how many stations in. The, I was at the Holy Rosary Church on at 510 River, I think is the address. And mm. they had, I don't know how many stations within, like in the room. Um, but yeah, it was... Pretty, it was sort of, it was a well-run, it was a well-oiled machine in there. So, but yeah, huge. If you want to see the ballot, I know you're not supposed to take pictures when you when you do this, but I'm like, I got to get this on camera. <laughs> uh, so I sent that out on Twitter at Brett McGarry if you want to see the gigantic What's ballot. What's that police non-emergency number again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for someone to come at you for that, but there's. I don't think we've ever started a show, and I mean this in the best possible way, Brett, where you started off saying, let's talk election. Yeah. Like a by-election. <laughs> and no I, the reason kidding. why I make fun of that word is that I always get confused by bi-monthly versus semi-monthly versus by like, are they the same thing? Is a complete aside. Uh, the voter turnout was 36% eh. in your in your writing. Okay. So, you know, that's, a, that's well, they get usually 60% in a regular one. But that's, I've seen by-elections where it's 25, 26%. So I don't know. Maybe it did help get people out. And what was the turnout in portage Lisgar? Do you, do you know that? You've got to ask me questions. I don't have the answers. <laughs> okay, well, to, if you, it was, Hang you on. had it off the top of your head. I, I, no. Yes. I don't Hang know. I, you... I got it right here. It was 45% oh. in portage Lisgar, And that would be, I think, in part because you had uh, the people's, no, I'm mixing it up. In your writing, I'm sorry. Am I, do I, you know, I should just stop talking. I got none of this correct. <laughs> Voter turnout in Portage Lisgar, yes, was 45%, which, okay. of course, Maxine Bernier was trying to win his first seat there for the People's Party. So that makes sense that it would be a little bit yeah. higher out there, and you know, with regard to the national attention that that, that, that race uh, garnered. So uh, I guess uh, part of the conversation over the next few days now is what's next for Maxine Bernier. And the PPC, uh, about seventeen percent of the of the vote is what they garnered uh, at last count. So, uh, what does that mean for Bernier? Does he run again somewhere else? I know I got a text message from somebody last night, flabbergasted by the fact that he was running in Manitoba. Eh, no rule against it. So, uh, here we are. So that's it. So that's now. Nothing changed, of course, right? We Correct. had uh, <laughs> we had four by elections, and 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 the party representation remained exactly the same as it was. Uh, uh, on Sunday, it, it, it remains today. So we'll have more on this at 8.05 as we will speak with a political expert on that. Also today, Tuesday, which means breakfast with the Bombers. And we're going to speak with whom, Greg? The kicker for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Sergio Castillo. He's on his third round of, uh, <laughs> of time with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which is fantastic. His journey through football, pro football, is absolutely fascinating. It includes uh, more than half the teams in the CFL, the XFL, the NFL. And he's also a motivational speaker. And so we'll speak to Sergio at 737 about that journey, his journey here, uh, how he tries to inspire young people, what his message is, Loren, and the, the idea that we don't really have to talk about kicking very much this year, as opposed to last season when it was constantly a source of discussion, at times consternation, and we know ultimately what happened in the Grey Cup game. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a different air around the kicking game this year. 
it's funny you mentioned that we don't really have to talk about it. We were in the car yesterday and I was getting my kids uh, back, my kid back from an appointment and uh, we were listening to CJOB and it came up about the kicker and he said, who is the kicker this year after what happened last? And he knew enough to know that it should be talked about despite the fact that we're not, you know, we're not listening to football around the clock in our house. So I just think it was something the average fan was even aware of and now we can just sort of, I don't know, grab our drink when the kicking's on, you know, go refresh our beer. Not worry about it? Not worry about it. But right now we want to delve into this a little bit further. This major search and rescue operation, which is underway to look for a vessel that takes tourists and scientists to see the wreck of the Titanic. It's gone missing off the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. There are five people on board with enough oxygen for just a few days. So the submersible was scheduled to depart from St. John's on June 12th for an eight-day round trip to the wreckage site, roughly 600 kilometers away. It was reported missing after it lost communication sometime on Sunday. What we're really focused on uh, at the moment is really locating the vessel, which could either be in the surface or subsurface. And so we're bringing in technical expertise to understand uh, both uh, the dynamics of underwater uh, search uh, and uh, underwater rescue uh, operations. You can only imagine the desperation here to find this vessel. It's believed to be the Titan, which is operated by Ocean Gate Expeditions. It's capable of driving 4,000 meters underwater. And so now with it missing, resources from U.S. and Canada, they're deployed in the air and on the water to try to find this missing sub. We get more from Global's Eric Sorensen now on this desperate search underway. It is a 10-ton high-tech submersible that can transport five people to the bottom of the ocean, and it's gone missing. A Canadian search vessel and a Canadian Forces Aurora aircraft have been deployed, along with a U.S. C-130, to the waters off Newfoundland and Labrador, where the Titanic is located. OceanGate operates the sub and says contact was lost Sunday. OceanGate says in a statement, we are exploring and mobilizing all options to bring the crew back safely and receiving assistance from several government agencies and deep-sea companies in our efforts to re-establish contact with the submersible. The once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. In its promotional video, OceanGate offers what it calls citizen scientists the opportunity to dive down to explore the Titanic. Platform ready to dive. The cost is several tens of thousands of dollars per person with clientele like director James Cameron. The adventure acknowledges risks but emphasizes safety. I think the the greatest likelihood is the loss of communications, but certainly anything is possible. Jill Heinerth has been in touch with the crew on the surface vessel, the Polar Prince. She says there are many fail-safe measures on the sub. They can drop the ballast that holds them underwater and simply float back to the surface. I mean, this is a eight to 12 hour mission just to go down and back to the Titanic. There is life support capacity on board these subs for about 96 hours. So they have a lot of time. The submersible is almost seven meters long, about 22 feet. The capacity is designed for five people for up to 96 hours or four days. It can descend to a depth of 4,000 meters. The Titanic's depth is 3,800 meters below the surface on the ocean floor. At that depth, something serious could have happened. The Titanic lies in a trench. There is debris all around. There could have been uh, an accident. It could have become entangled in the wreckage of of Titanic. 
it could indeed have had a catastrophic failure. Uh, the answer is we don't know just yet. The Titanic was one of the world's worst maritime disasters. More than 1,500 lives were lost when it struck an iceberg and sank. Exploring it has been a fascination for people like BC's Ron Toigo, about whom Global News once did a story. It's always been one of those things that you're just mesmerized by for... And why, who knows? Tonight, the lives of five more people are the subject of a frantic search, very near where the search for the Titanic happened 111 years ago. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. As a kid, I was always fascinated by the story, the legend, the, the history of the Titanic. So it does not surprise me that in this day and age, with the ability to go down undersea, to go and see this wreckage, that there are individuals with the means that are prepared to spend that kind of money to go down and see this. So this, this is really tough to, to hear about, obviously, but these things come with their risks, inherent risks, and, and maybe risks that, that individuals didn't even realize, Loren, because this is, this is a fairly new uh, way to, uh, to, to visit places that we've never been able to visit before. Yeah, and if you look at a map, when they say off the coast of Newfoundland, it's well off the coast of, of Newfoundland. They talked about the fact that it's an eight-day mission that left on the 12th, so that would get us to the 20th uh, today, where they would have been expected to have been back. And then I, I'm understanding that the 96-hour life support would be that emergency life support that would, in theory, take you beyond the expected length of that tour. So I'm I'm thinking it gets deeply concerning by the end of this week, but I'm, I'm just trying to do the math there now. They have had communication problems before according to one cbs report so it's possible that this is just a communication blip and they just can't communicate with them but uh if you had anyone in that sub your your mind is racing with all the possible scenarios i will say this this is not a tour i would in my life be interested in doing but i understand those who have that deep fascination with getting deep 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 into the sea and, and seeing what's down there not just the titanic fascination but i'd be willing to bet they there are people who also just want to see what life looks like down there. And so, wow, thoughts are with family that might have someone on that sub because that is, it reminds me, there was that story years ago. I don't know if you guys recall a Russian sub. Sure. Um, lost the, the, its it engine, I believe. Yes. And it went, it, it ended up on the bottom of the ocean and they couldn't get to it. So even if they locate it, there might be issues with getting to that submarine and how you can get down to that depth and that kind of thing. So yeah, a real ugly story all around. Yeah, scary stuff. And when I see the, uh, you talk about seeing life at the bottom of the ocean, some of the footage they're able to capture mm -hmm. uh, when they go down deep, it's remarkable. It's just the, the creatures that live down there at that depth, it's just weird. But the fact that they are able to get down there and capture this footage is pretty crazy when you think about it. But yeah, too, I always wondered, like, is this a trip? Because I'm just trying to think, like, what would I rather do? Would I rather take a trip into space or would I rather take a trip down deep? And and both of them are exciting and both of them are terrifying at the same time because there's no escape uh, if something goes wrong. Yeah, exactly right. Would you consider this, you know, this idea of going down to the Titanic? Is that morbid? Curiosity to see, or or is it or is it historical? You know, I, just conversation, not chastising anyone, because no. like I say, I've been fascinated by the whole idea that the this largest thing in the world at the time of its first sailing, and and to have it go down the way it did, and and all the stories are around the facts and the and the myths and the legends around it has just sort of been gripping since. 
you know, for for my entire life, really. People go back to all sorts of locations that are the site of some really horrific things. And some of that's about learning, right? And, and then moving forward with learning. And it depends on, I think, on why you're doing the trip. But I think that it would be as much of people who wanted to see the Titanic as they also wanted to just to, to get the trip itself, right? There'd be something to be said about going on a sub tour like this, regardless of the destination. I'm reading about the, t- the talk about how it gets into, you know, that lovely color of blue in the ocean when you get into pitch black. I mean, you're like, it's like going to space when you make that reference, Brett. Yeah. You can't breathe down there. The pressure's intense. And obviously you can't breathe underwater, period. But now it's pitch black. It would be very space-like. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now, we want to talk about neighbors. Good neighbors, kindly neighbors. Greg, you spotted a rather fun little story on the social medias yesterday. What you got? Yeah, well, I'm probably going to get choked up reading this because I'm a little tired today. And this is just a really sweet story. So it's a picture of a note. And uh, I'll just read the note here. It says, and it's handwritten on a little card. So this, you know, harkens back to the old days, so to speak. No digital interaction here. This is a good old-fashioned handwritten note on, on, on a card. It says, I tried to knock on your door a few times with a smiley face. Could you please put this back in my mailbox? Thanks so much. And the note is this. Dear neighbor, my name is Emma, and I live across the street at 1659. Would it be okay if I shot some hoops on your b-ball hoop after school some days? And then Emma has made a yes with a box, <laughs> or then a box and a no, and then it left a place for comments from the neighbor. <laughs> and so the neighbor marks a X for a yes, and the comment says, absolutely have fun. So Emma got Aww. her permission, and it just, you know, it's just old-fashioned neighborhood stuff. That's great. So Love it. Here's what we want from you at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win bomber tickets for Thursday's game against BC. We want you to tell us about something kindly that a neighbor has done for you. Or if you just want to celebrate a good neighbor, or even if that neighbor is a pet. Like, for example, when our radio station was at 930 Portage Avenue, so we were between Lenore and Ruby. Or I guess if you're heading eastbound, it's Ruby, then Lenore. And uh, I would occasionally just go for a quick walk if I needed a break. And around the corner, two or three houses in on Ruby, I'm walking down the street and there's this cat on a leash in the yard. And it sort of looks, spots me and meows at me and wanders over this big, fuzzy, long-haired cat. So I reached down and scratched it on its head. And then it just rolled, flopped on its back and wanted me to rub its tummy. So then I went to see this cat every day (laughs) for weeks. And I got excited when I would go, go to see it. I, I don't think the homeowner cared for the, the interactions too much. And eventually the cat was not there. It was inside. But uh, for a few weeks, that little cat was my buddy. And it made, me, made my day every day. Cam, what about you? Uh, I remember um, there, there was some... Uh, oh. um, uh, anyways, my, my, living on Bonner, my, um, uh, my next-door neighbor, uh, Rod... And there was something going on. The fence between our our house, our houses, was gone because I think they were doing something. They were putting in a hot tub or something, and so they needed to take out the fence. And I remember, so we we kind of spent I don't know it would have been two three weeks or something like that with sort of a shared 
uh, short of, sort of a shared backyard. And I remember, and I'll always remember that, that I was out there and I don't know, I wanted to be like a, a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs for like about a, I think about a weekend or maybe it might've been two weeks. <laughs> so I had, um, I had a board set out in the back and I was practicing my fastball and stuff like this. And I just kept hitting this board over and over again. And I'd go pick up the ball and go back and trying to hit the target. Anyway, so he saw me out there doing that. And so anyways, I played catch. We played catch with him and he didn't even have a mitt. Like he was just catching with his bare hand. But I remember playing catch with him for probably two hours that day. And I'll remember that was really cool. That was really cool. Yeah. You were throwing fastballs at this guy? No, no, no. Well, we were playing regular catch after that. Like he saw me out there playing and he goes, throw me the ball. And we just sat there and played catch for. That's yeah. nice. That oh, nice. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it was. There you go. I guess the, the pitching dream for the Cubs didn't pan out. <laughs> Never panned out. Yeah. Okay. I had the. I, I see, like, I, I was trying to pull a Jim Carrey and envision that $150 million uh, check in my pocket. That doesn't really work. <laughs> Loren McNabb, what about you? Oh, I've said this before. You know, we've looked at, you know, living in different communities or moving just out of curiosity. Sometimes you go house hunting. You just want to see what's out there. And it's our neighbors that keep us where we are. Like, there, we are so lucky. I, I, the list of things that they have done for us is so long. I had my neighbor, I'm going to give Elisa a shout out. She, I was saying to her, you know, what can I put in this corner of this bed, this flower bed? Cause everything I put in this one corner dies. And so she, she made a suggestion. And then the next day I came home and there she was in the front bed digging with my husband, just planting this thing for me. And I was like, you didn't have to do that. She's like, ah, it was already out. Next day goes by. Then you're boring a, you know, a piece of equipment from someone on Sunday, on father's day, we were just coming back from an event and, uh, the smoker was supposed to be put on. You know how you can do the smoker electronically, like through your phone, not electronically, digitally, through the phone, and then it wasn't working, so called, text her again. Do you think you could just go over and see if the, the smoker is on? I mean, like, they must just see my phone number and want to run from it some days, but they're they're wonderful, and they're lovely, and they're kind, and um, they tolerate moose. So, you know, all <laughs> of the above are good things. Moose, by the way, is... L- l- goes under the fence as much as he can. Like, if he could dig a hole and go into their yard, he'd choose to live there rather than here as well. <laughs> Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Yeah, I just have the best memories with my childhood neighbor. I think we all have that childhood neighbor, hopefully, growing up that you'd get together and play with across the street. And she had a trampoline, and I had a basketball net, so we would do a little trades off. Like, you come here one day, we go to your place the next day. So that was uh, really fun growing up. But one like specific memory I have is, uh, I think I was just in high school. My mom was getting my little sister ready for school, but it had a big snow dump had come down. And so I'm going out to shovel the driveway and get us ready to go. My dad was already at work and like, I have this tiny little shovel and then all of a sudden, um, our neighbor who has a pickup with a nice, uh, what do you call it? Like a huge big blade. On yeah, the, big on blade. The front. He comes along. He's like, "Let me help you." <laughs> and so, nice. very thankful for neighbors like that. Did you ever set up the trampoline in front of the basketball hoop <laughs> so you could dunk it? Like, we kaboom! should have. We definitely should have. <laughs> and Jeff Forte, what about you? I have some great neighbors that I have uh, in my building that I live at, and uh, like across the hall, Shirley. She calls me her grandson, which is awesome. And then I have uh, neighbors who, you know, like I, from down the hall, Brian and Josie, they, you know, I've, I've helped them order stuff off Amazon and they've given me food and stuff. And uh, there's been times where one time at least where uh, it's like almost five o'clock in the morning. So it's like 4.50. I'm doing my hair. I'm getting ready for work. And all of a sudden I get a knock on my door 
super early in the morning. Like, who's knocking on my door? Open it up, and there's Brian and Josie, and they have uh, a fresh piece of pie and some ice cream for me. It's not even 5 o'clock in the morning, but uh, <laughs> which is just amazing. It's just amazing. 204-780-6868, the kindly things your neighbors have done. If you want to just celebrate a good neighbor, and like I said, maybe that neighbor was a pet. And I need you to understand that this takes time. And we don't anticipate having these accurate answers for a number of weeks or months. That's Manitoba RCMP saying that the public will need to be patient while waiting for answers in the deadly collision on the Trans-Canada Highway that killed 15 people. Yeah, so the 10 people on the minibus who survived, they all remain in hospital. Officials saying five are now in critical condition. There was six and they were able to upgrade one. Some of the passengers have also been able to speak to the RCMP. But as Global's Iris Dick reports, officials are stressing that everyone here needs time to heal, to rest and, of course, grieve. This is the worst tragedy in the history of our entire province. Officials taking a moment of silence for the crash victims Monday before renewing their support for the grieving communities. These are our friends. These are our neighbors. These are our loved ones. Premier Stephenson pledged to reimburse families travel, food and other expenses as they remain by their loved one's sides in hospital. Our message to you is that we are here to help you during this difficult time. The Premier also saying she'd support any changes recommended by a safety review of the crossing at Highways 1 and 5. The at-grade intersection is undergoing a provincial assessment as a result of the crash. Because of the extent of uh, the severity of this review, uh, we know we're prepared to go beyond that and bring in experts as, as needed. But as the initial shock of Thursday's crash wears off, it's clear that the road ahead is a long and difficult one. One RCMP say may not bring answers as quickly as the public wants them. All the witnesses were in the bus and a lot of them are in trauma right now that we can't talk to. Superintendent Rob Lawson says they've been able to speak with a few victims in hospital but that the minibus driver was not one of them. He couldn't say whether the semi-trailer had a data recorder or if investigators had collected it. But next they will assess the remains of the two vehicles with the help of forensic collision reconstructionists and criminal investigators, a process that could take months. But the most complex uh, part of it is, is, like I said, we have to determine accurate answers. And when I talk about accurate answers, we mean, was someone at fault here? Our job as investigators is to rule that out or to rule that in. While answers require patience, support has already been coming in. The CEO of Shared Health says she's been touched by the outpouring of support for families and healthcare workers. We also received communication um, from from many people in written form and sometimes uh, phone calls suggesting just, you know, really understanding uh, how difficult this is. Offering hope in an unprecedented time. That was Global's Iris Dick with the latest on the investigation. We also know that in Dauphin last night, there was an in-camera meeting about the possibility of a public memorial. And, and Loren, it's sort of, you know, this balance of our need and want to know uh, the details here. And, and uh, you know, for the general public, that's one thing. I, I just hope that the individuals at the... Part of this are getting the information uh, that they need, and and for some it's been in a, been a little bit slow in terms of of getting the the information out to the public. But this is deliberate and this is purposeful. 
Yeah, I think they have to take their time, right? Because you don't want to come to a conclusion that you want to be as accurate as possible in terms of the why and the what. And then I think the same goes for the conversations around public memorials and, and, and whether or not there should be some sort of gathering for people because everybody will feel differently about that. And I keep thinking about the words of Connexus Counseling Carolyn Clausen to us last Friday about the idea that, you know, we, we don't get to decide how others grieve and what might be right for them. You know, in life, we've all had conversations about how we would like to be remembered. And I think everybody's answer is differently, not about how they like to be remembered, but honored, perhaps, right? Do you want the public display? Do you want the funeral? How do you want? There's all these things to consider. And at the end of the day, it's only in that tight circle that gets to decide. And the, and the same goes with the crash results. You have to keep it in that tight circle and hope that the people who are directly impacted uh, have a say in it all. The mayor of Dauphin told us that, that they'd been in touch with the folks in Humboldt Mm-hmm. You know, and the conversations around how to deal with this tragedy and tragedies like this. And I, I wonder what the feedback was like with regard to the focus of the media, not only from across Canada, but really around the world. And and we had this discussion uh, during the the investigation and, and in the days following what happened with the Broncos crash. And then in the subsequent weeks and months, just the graciousness and how thankful the parents and and others that were involved and directly directly impact the survivors of that crash were but i wonder if some of the feedback might have been brett that you know just be careful because it, it can be a little bit much you're dealing with your own stuff already and maybe it's not the best thing to you know to welcome the world into your community it might add and heap a whole lot of stress onto the circumstance Question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com. Should Canada aim to build the Trans-Canada Highway to U.S. interstate standards? And similar results, we put this up at cjob.com, Twitter, and on Instagram. And uh, the results were almost unanimous across the board. Uh, at cjob.com, we had 55% saying yes, 100%. 29% said in locations where practical and 16% just say that's unrealistic. You can still cast your vote on that at cjob.com on Twitter and on Instagram before we pop up a new question a bit later on this morning. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. By the way, joining us after Global News at 7.30. Make it like he's uh, like he's the lead in like a, a movie, a Hallmark movie based on a romance novel. Sergio. <laughs> Just a little roll of the G. Say it really breathy. Sergio. I think there might need to be a, a little bit of a sound effect whenever you use his name and whenever we talk about him in this context. <laughs> Cal Milroy, if like you that. can help us with that. Sergio. <laughs> Sergio Castillo joins us. 735. That's from the Blue Bomber broad, uh, podcast. Uh, from last week, Derek Taylor and I having an extended discussion about Sergio Castillo, his impact, and even how to pronounce his name. All right, so that's coming up at 735, and a reminder that we have tickets to give away for that Bomber game on Thursday against BC. We're asking you to tell us about kindly neighbors, celebrating your neighbors. Loren, what does Dave say? When I was a kid growing up on Rothesay in the 60s, the sound tech for the guest who lived a few houses down for us and the whole band would often gather at the tech's house. I was a pretty shy kid, so I never really wanted to bother the guys by knocking on the door or anything, but a friend was visiting from out of town once, 
and he couldn't believe my proximity to the band. He more or less dragged me over to the tech's house when the band's touring bus was parked outside and the band was most likely there. The sound tech recognized me as a neighbor, and incredibly, we were invited in to meet the band and get autographs. Best of all, we quietly watched as Burton and Randy worked out the chords of a new song they were working on. What a great neighbor, and what a way to entertain an out-of-town friend. How neat is that? Very cool. But guess who? Just hanging out down the street. I'm floored. That is so cool. <laughs> wow. That's a good one. And then uh, what is, uh, this is from Steph. In in East Kildonan. So the Kildonan's working hard here to get in the contest. Uh, Steph says, uh, my neighbor in East Kildonan is the most hardworking, amazing man. He looked out for my late grandmother for my mom when she lived in the house and for me when I lived there. Now my daughter occupies that house and he looks out for her. Four generations of women have lived there at different times and he's been an angel in disguise to all of us. Thank you, Sherwin. Oh, wow. So there we go. Tell us a story about your neighbors for a a good one. We're celebrating today. We want to heap praise, positivity. Maybe we'll do Bad Neighbors tomorrow. Some homework for you. Tuesdays just after 7.35 means breakfast with the Bombers. Brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they're off to a 2-0 start and look like an absolute juggernaut on offense, including, Loren, their kicking game. Our next guest is perfect on field goals this season. He did miss an extra point Friday night. However, he kicked a rouge on the ensuing kickoff. And before we bring him on, let's start with something fun because uh, we teased this a bit earlier on the Blue Bombers podcast last week. Derek Taylor and Greg decided on something very important. Make it like he's a uh, like he's the lead in like a, a movie, a Hallmark movie based on a romance novel. Sergio. <laughs> Just a little roll that G say it really breathy, Sergio. I think there might need to be a, a little bit of a sound effect whenever you use his name and whenever we talk about him in this context. <laughs> Cal Milroy, if like you can that. help us with that. Sergio. Blue Bomber kicker Sergio Castillo joins us now. Sergio, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. Do we have permission to add that uh, sound effect to our podcast anytime we're speaking adoringly of your of your uh, of your work on the field? <laughs> Let's go for it. I'm all for it. Very good. All right. It's authorized. So rubber stamped. Love it. Uh, thanks for joining us. We think this might be the first time we've ever had you on Breakfast with the Bombers. So so welcome to the segment. Friday night, we saw just how important special teams are in Canadian football with that spectacular punt return touchdown by Janarian Grant. Does knowing, as the kicker, Sergio, like does knowing the other team can return a kick for six points the other way, if you miss the kick, put extra pressure on you to make your field goals? Uh, it does, uh, you know, in my mindset, you know, obviously it just, I always try to block out like, hey, it's whoever was back there. You know, I know when I first started kicking, you know, Speedy Banks was the guy, right? And and unfortunately I missed one. He returned one on us back, at, back then. But it's just... Um, it does add that element. You know, the special teams coach, the head coach, everyone's aware is like, you know, we better make this. You know, we don't want to, uh, you know, l- lose the momentum on a on a, on a a kick like that, right? So, but I'm definitely uh, lucky 
to have a Janari on my side now, right? Because I don't have to worry much about that. So it's uh, he's definitely a game changer. So we know you're a motivational speaker, Sergio, and your education was in education. And so when you talk to, and maybe we can focus on kids here, what's part of your story that you like to share to either motivate them or, you know, when, when bad things do happen, whether it be on the field or in life, how, how to respond to that? Uh, so one thing I tell them, and, you know, and we were talking about it with the, you know, because we got together as a group of, you know, some of the group of yesterday, the guys, it's like, it's not if, but when um, hard circumstances come approach us because that it's going to happen is going to happen. Right. So, um, so one does not act surprised when something bad happens, right. Or like, or go into the pouty moment of why me, right. Uh, two is just like t- play, play the cards that you've been dealt with. But more importantly is I tell, I tell kids create a vision board and they, or a dream board, you know, whatever people call it. And I was introduced to this board back in 2014. It was my first year out of college. And, um, long story short, I used to take the bus to work and I had just gotten released by the Atlanta Falcons and my bus driver at the time, he's like, Serge, I challenge you to create a vision board. I'm like, well, what's a vision board? He's like, I want you to think of your dreams and I want you to print pictures of your dreams. I was like, all right. And you know, in the first dream, it consisted of, a, you know, uh, it's, um, a cartoon picture. And it's like a big old family having a, a, a barbecue. And I titled it Castillo's Family Reunion. My biggest dream was to have a family. My dad really wasn't involved much in my, my, my life. So it's like I struggled with that because, you know, I always wanted to know what it meant to, to have dinner with a mom and a dad present. It was always my mom. And I love my mom and my aunts and uncles and my grandma that raised me. Because I missed that father figure, right? So my biggest dream was to have a family. The second one was a picture of NFL and CFL logo. I want to play pro. And people ask me all the time, you know, Serge, you've been cut more than 10 times. You tore your ACL. How are you able to come back? And I kept looking at that vision board. But that was the first thing I saw when I woke up. And it was the last thing I saw before I went to bed on those hard times. And it reminded me on bad days who I was going to become in the future. So there's a saying, you are what you eat. You are what you think. You think you can do it, you're right. If you think you cannot do it, you're also right. So we got to win the battle on the mind before we step on the battle on the field, at school, at home, et cetera. So, Sergio, you've been around the, the Canadian Football League. I can't remember which, but, you know, Kevin Glenn, <laughs> quarterback, uh, was a member of each and every team in the CFL. I've heard some players say, you want to see Canada as an American become a Canadian Football League player? And, and so you've seen a good share of Canada, but you've also spent time in the National Football League. So just just talk about what it's been like to achieve these dreams and to, and to have this vision that you help create for yourself come true. You know, uh, number one is I'm just, I'm grateful to be where I'm at, right? And then I'm grateful for the people that have been placed in my life because there's been different phases in my life where, I needed that specific person and that person was either there for just a short season or there's people that are going to be in my lifetime forever because we've been connected through, through moments where I was struggling. Right. So just to be able to keep on living this dream, a kid from La Jolla, Texas, where, you know, football's popular, but no, no one had really ever made the jump just to even play college football. Um, it's definitely, 
a big accomplishment. So now I, I embrace my platform that I have and to be able to live my dream, but also to try to help others. And maybe it might not be football or sports or maybe another career where I can try and help them and guide them that, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're Brown or your last name is Castillo, Gonzalez, Garcia, Cavazos, et cetera, you know, it can be done. Right. And so it's just trying to use my platform as much as I can right now to try to, you know, inspire and motivate uh, young kids and, you know, my nieces and nephews, which I have about 15 of them now. And uh, so just trying to use my platform as much as I can. And Sergio, before we let you go, just curious, um, we tried the the game day food special yesterday. It's a jumbo taco in a bag, $35. You get a family-sized bag of Old Dutch Arriba chips, a pound and a half of taco meat, some pico de gallo, lettuce, shredded cheese, salsa, sour cream, and green onions. Uh, do you ever get to try the game day specials, or is that uh, do you have to, you know, eat a little healthier before the game? Well, I don't know if there's any health in my diet, right? <laughs> I try to stay clean throughout. <laughs> I try to stay uh, healthy throughout the week, but man, I just have a sweet tooth and. Man, as soon as I smell those fresh homemade tortillas, man, it kills me. Um, <laughs> no, I have not been. I have not been able to try um, that dish uh, yet. Uh, maybe uh, I can order it for after the game. That'd be that'd be <laughs> something I can probably do. I would like to see you on the sidelines with that after. You know, just having a little taco on the bag after a big win. Maybe we can see. We so, can make that happen. I, I, I have a very funny and true story. So in high school, I was in the drum line in band. So halftime, I'll take off my pads and then I put my drum, bass drum on, I march in halftime and then I would go put my pads on, play the rest of the game. Well, my freshman year, I was only in band and I remember in halftime after we would perform, we would get these bomb barbecue Felix tacos. We each would get two. And man, they were just so good. Fresh homemade tortillas, good beef fajitas, sausage, man. Just, they hit at home, right? Well, my sophomore year, when I started kicking, I'm like, dang it, I'm not going to be able to eat those tacos anymore. <laughs> so after a couple of days, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's the fatty in me, right? And, and um, so what I started doing on purpose, I started leaving my bass drum next to my kicking net because my best, my best friend's Roger, and Steven, which I still keep in touch with to this day, they had to pick up my drum and put it back in the case for me because I had to return back to play, right? Well, when they would leave my drum, they would leave me two tacos in my kicking bag, and I beat them in the third quarter <laughs> in one knee. So you mean to tell us your, your, your pro football career was almost derailed by delicious tacos? Oh, man, yeah. Here's so... But yeah, it, I mean, it's because here's the thing. Once that texture of that tortilla touches your lips, you would see why. I love it. Outstanding. Thank you, Sergio. You're welcome back on this program anytime you like, my friend. Thank you for this. Uh, I appreciate it. Y'all have a good day.
Sergio Castillo joining us live on 680 CJOB, Blue Bomber Kicker. And once again for Thursday, yeah, the Jumbo Taco No Bag, $35. You can see it on our Instagram if you want to see a picture of that. And you can buy it at Section 140. Tailgate Plaza opens at 530. Kickoff is at 730. Also, it's 90s night and Pride night on Thursday. Blue Bombers and BC Lions. And we've got tickets to give away tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday morning. Right now, we want to talk about how the names have changed, but the parties that represented two Manitoba ridings heading into this week's by-election remain the same. Yeah, so in Winnipeg South Centre, as we've been telling you, Ben Carr retained the seat for the Liberals. It was previously held by his dad, Jim, before his passing late last year. And then in Portage Lisgar, it remains a Conservative stronghold, with Brandon Leslie getting some 20,000 votes, while the People's Party leader, Maxime Bernier, finished second with about 5,000 votes at last count. That would be about 17% of the vote in that riding, Greg. Yeah, so joining us to discuss this, Kelly Saunders teaches political science at Brandon University. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, good morning. No real surprises here, I don't think. But I, I want to ask you about the, the notion of uh, Ben Carr replacing his dad. I think there's a romantic story there for sure. Uh, it's not uncommon for these sorts of things to happen in politics, whether it be in Canada or the United States. But in Portage Lisgar, you've got conservative candidate and former Parliament Hill staffer Brandon Leslie winning that seat. For those of us on the inside, it, it doesn't feel, or on the outside, it doesn't feel as though there's a lot of room on the inside of politics for people like us that might want to get involved. It feels as though it's sort of remaining a, a tight-knit community, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, and it is, actually. You know, one of the things I always say to my students is that uh, politics is pretty elitist in Canada when you look at it. Um, I mean, what it takes to uh, to be nominated by a political party, you've got to start off as a party insider, as a volunteer, you've got to get your name out, and, and then you've got to work your way up through the party ranks. Rarely do you have someone coming from the outside, an independent candidate, for example, that's really able to to break through that uh, that glass ceiling and uh, and have a presence and uh, successful career in politics. So it really is an inside game in many ways, and and I think this election kind of shows that. And you didn't uh, mention uh, as well that when we look at the uh, the new MP from uh, Notre Dame de Grasse in uh, in Quebec is former uh, is a former National Party leader. Anna Ganey is former uh, uh, president of the National Liberal Party. So again, just speaks to that insider kind of um, uh, insider kind of aspect to to Canadian politics. So then in, uh, and we'll get to the South Centre and their goofy ballot in a moment, but uh, no, no, still no seat for the PPC after what happened in Port de Lisgar. So does this change Maxime Bernier's future? Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's kind of two ways you can look at this. You know, it's um, certainly Bernier was not able to, to capture the 22 percent um, a vote that uh, that his party had gotten in, in Porch Lisgar in 2021. He went down to 17%, as you said. So clearly not able to actually win a seat. But I think it shows that the PPC is still a force to be reckoned with. You know, there's still going to be a thorn in the side of the National Conservative Party. Um, we've already seen that, right, with Polyev shifting the party towards more of a populist right-wing kind of position. Certain, certainly Brandon Leslie, the, the candidate and now MP-elect uh, in Porch Lisgar, 
are also carried on a lot of that right-wing populist messaging. So the Conservatives still have to deal with the fact that the PPC are around and there are pockets of support for the party, not only in Manitoba, but across the country. So so that is that is an issue, no question about it. But certainly, you know, the, the PPC, if they're not able to win in Porge Lisgar with the, you know, their their with Maxime Bernier, their leader, it shows that you know that their support is there, but it is very limited. So let's talk about Winnipeg South Centre. Brett voted in that riding yesterday and, and had said, you know, he thought it was gonna, the names were going to come out on a scroll because it was a record-setting 48 people on the ballot. And when the woman went to fold it up, I think, Brett, you described it like origami. It just took so long to get this ballot back in the box. <laughs> yeah. And so we can make fun of that. But they were I, the people behind the longest ballot committee were trying to make a point. They want electoral reform. Trudeau promised that, didn't deliver on that in you know the last several elections since he said he would do that. Did they make a point here or does it get lost with that many names? Like what's the analysis of the why and then the result here? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we are talking about it right today. So uh, did they make their point? I, I think they did. Um, and it kind of goes back to one of you know the earlier questions about just how elitist and and how much of an insider game politics is, and and that's true. And a lot of that has to do with the nature of our electoral system. Um, we know the frustrations, right, with with our first past the post system, and and it is you know it, it leads to a lot of weird wonky things, uh, but it also keeps the the system pretty closed to to just regular folk on the outside that want to get involved and maybe maybe run for office. So I think it is important to, you know, to talk about maybe the need to, to change our electoral system. And as you said, the prime minister did promise it um, back in 2015, walked away from it. And I think that's left a bad taste in a lot of mouths of Canadians. So, you know, this is something it, it was a tactic maybe that frustrated a lot of people, for sure. You know, the origami ballot. Um, but as I said, we are talking about it. So if that was their point, I think they made it. We have to let you go right away here, Kelly, but really quick, I've had a few people ask me over the last couple of weeks this idea of riding shopping and Maxine Bernier running in Portage Lisgar. Is this is this something that that regular people ought to be concerned about? I know it's a time, and I'll put in quotation marks, honoured tradition. This is not brand new. Is it something that should go away? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we want to, to elect representatives that know us, that know our community, that know our issues, our concerns, our values, our priorities. And so when you have these parachute candidates, regardless of, you know, and all the parties do it, and it just gets very, very frustrating. And again, one of the reasons why a lot of people don't bother to show up to vote and feel that, you know, politics, uh, there's no place for them in politics. And, and again, you know, it, it's the same, the same thing we've been talking about, right? Just how elitist and, and leader-centric parties are. And, and, and there is a need for, for more democracy across the board, no question. And this is just yet another frustration that we have to deal with as voters. Kelly Saunders teaches political science at Brandon University. Thank you for your insight as always, Kelly. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're talking about neighbors this morning. Greg found this cute story on social media about this teenage girl uh, on some street, who knows where, left a note for her neighbor saying, hey, is it okay if I play basketball in your hoop? Sometimes after school, and they responded saying, absolutely, have fun. And we just thought, how kind and neighborly is that? So today we're celebrating the kindly things that our neighbors have done for us. And as always, impossible to choose just one, but we must. 
for the Bomber tickets for Thursday. Greg, why don't you start us off with one runner-up whose name is Henry. One of my best neighbors trusted me so much that when we decided to move out to the country, we were short on our down payment. So he lent us a few thousand dollars, no questions. Even my family was hesitant to lend us the money. He even gave us a puppy to take with us. <laughs> we told him that we could only pay him back after the mortgage was in place. He helped us make our dream a reality and didn't think twice about it. Wow. That's crazy. That's lovely kind. Yeah. yeah. That's a special friendship. Wow. No kidding. Uh, Braden, another runner up who says in Windsor Park, we have the best neighbors. We had family from Austria over. And our CRV doesn't fit seven. So our neighbors lent us their minivan and we gave them the keys to our CRV. So we were then able to spend the week traveling in one vehicle to Kenora. Uh, we could go to the Forks, the zoo, many other places. Both us and our Austrian family were so overjoyed and thankful for our neighbors' generosity. And Braden adds that we've only been in this spot for two and a half years. And I could tell you 20 stories about oh. how generous they are. So uh, that's kind. Yeah, that's incredible. But uh, Loren Dave is our winner because this one just blew us away for how incredibly unique and and just cool. the chances. Yeah, and it came in early. This text from Dave. When I was a kid growing up on Rothesay Street in the 60s, the sound tech for the guests who lived a few houses down from us. The whole band would often gather at the tech's house. I was pretty shy as a kid, so I never really wanted to bother the guys by knocking on the door. But a friend was from out of town once, and he couldn't believe my proximity to the band. He more or less dragged me over there to the tech's house when the band's touring bus was parked outside. The band, most likely there. The sound tech recognized me as a neighbor, and incredibly, we are invited in to meet the band, get autographs, and best of all, we quietly watched as Burton and Randy worked out the chords of a new song they were working on. What a great neighbor, and what a way to entertain an out-of-town friend. Fantastic. And what a piece of history. Like, they watched history in the making, right? They watched sure. them crafting new music. Ugh. I wonder what song it was. I'd love to know. I'm just sitting here, just closing my eyes, trying to imagine what that would have been like. I wonder Talk how many it. door knocks gift. that guy got. Oh, yeah, great like, If you question. saw that bus out there, come on. It'd be so hard not to be, oh, I'm just going to go see if Randy wants to hang out. <laughs> Do the guess who want to come out and play? Want to have a catch? <laughs> Can we play catch can, with Randy can, and Burton? Can Burton come? He's coming through the football with me, oh, please. Oh, sorry. I accidentally kicked my ball over there. Do you mind if I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you oh, normally play you soccer jamming? with a guitar in your hand, kid? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> oh, I just happened to be walking by. I need some lessons. So, Dave, congratulations. Great story. Have fun on Thursday at the Bomber game. We have tickets to give away tomorrow and Thursday as well. Right now, we want to talk about how Rainbow Stage is getting ready to kick off its season of love with a big one. The Pulitzer Prize winning musical, Rent. It's one of the longest running shows in Broadway history, and you can catch it under the dome from June 28th through July 16th. The artistic director of Rainbow Stage is Carson Natras. Carson, good morning, friend. Good morning. Wow, what an introduction. Love that tune. It's an amazing tune. It's an amazing musical. Not everyone's seen it. So for those who haven't, tell us about Rent, Carson. Well, you know, I'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't heard of it and um, maybe even heard that song. You know, we, we developed our season of love around 
that very number. And, uh, you know, they measure a year in 525,600 minutes, and we're down to 12,960 until opening. So you can come and see this rock and roll musical that changed Broadway history. And uh, it inspired shows like Hamilton and more. And it tells the story of struggling artists, passionate artists in New York City against the backdrop of all the trials and tribulations of the 1990s, all of which feel so similar to as uh, to the hope and love that we feel coming out of the last, you know, trials and tribulations of the last few years. So it's exactly what we need right now. And um, it's also a little different than what we're used to putting on our stage so that we can offer our audience uh, something pretty cool. You know, when that song started playing in the intro there, Carson, I was thinking of The Office because they use it to serenade Michael Scott. They just changed the lyrics That's of it. Right. But it's, it's, it's right. an example of a song, right, that has really, like, you know, endured the test of time. And so I'm curious about why that might be, not just with the music, but the show's longevity. I mean, a lot of people who might have seen their first Broadway show or, you know, off-Broadway show decades ago, this might might have been it. What, what is it about Rent? Well, you know, I ask myself that question all the time. I was in high school when this show came out, so I felt the impact that it had on the culture. Um, the author of the, of the musical died the day before it opened uh, uh, off-Broadway. And so that um, resonated in that community and uh, kind of brought in the global consciousness. And then all of a sudden this... Um, artists who had been toiling away for years was all of a sudden um, being posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize and the Tony Award for Best Musical. But, you know, fast forward to today, and my son's a teenager, and uh, this movie Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix came out in 2021. And this is about the author, directed by the man who wrote and starred in Hamilton and starring Andrew Garfield, who's the amazing Spider-Man. So that got my kid involved. And when it was done, he said, I want to see Rent. And I realized that this is a family show. But, like, because families don't end when your kids grow up. So once you've got your teens and you're trying to figure out something to do with them this summer, I've, it's like, this show is perfect. It's, it's always resonated with, with teens and young adults. And so that's, um, uh, it's a privilege to get to bring it to our stage. They referenced the season of love at Rainbow Stage. So maybe just expand on that. What is the season of love? Well, sure. You know, so, of course, this title, this uh, sort of really impactful song from Rent, um, Seasons of Love, uh, about this, these um, friends who find love in the face of hardship. And then we move into Disney's The Little Mermaid. And uh, this is finding love in the face of hardship in your family and, and loving the other. And then we have a brand new musical in the fall, uh, a new vampire musical called Afterlight. And uh, this is a beautiful two-person musical, uh, a love story that's going to be taking place at the cultural uh, center, at the Franco-Tobin, sorry, the Franco-Manitobin Cultural Center uh, in the fall. So it's a whole season uh, bringing people together through love. And um, I think we're missing one. Isn't Little Mermaid happening later on in the summer? No, that's the, yeah, I, I hope I didn't gloss over it, but it's uh, Disney's Little Mermaid all August is going to be really taking people under the sea and making you part of our world. And um, we really can't wait to uh, bring that story back to our stage. It's an incredible cast. 
with a pretty good director, I must say. Who's, and, the, uh, who's the director of that one, Carson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be uh, directing uh, my first uh, uh, big August show at Rainbow this summer. So I'm really thrilled to um, get started. Uh, we start rehearsals on July 16th. So um, everyone get your tickets for our full season Oh love uh, And that's my, you know, I'm distracted here because I'm trying to find a way to craft this question. You know, mm-hmm. one of my heroes uh, coming out of Winnipeg growing up was Jeremy Kushner. Oh, yeah. And, of yeah. course, he's a Rainbow Stage grad, but performed in Rent on Broadway years ago. Like, are, are you on the phone to Jeremy? Like, could you get him here for a couple performances this summer or what? My goodness. So, Jeremy Kushner uh, not only performed it on Broadway, but he toured through Winnipeg. I think it was 2004. And at that time, I was an usher at the Centennial Concert Hall, and I watched every single performance. And uh, because so he had the same impact on me as a young actor. And um, we were at the Stratford Festival together when he was doing Jesus Christ Superstar. And he directed our production of Rent in 2010. So he has a long um, uh, history with Rainbow Stage with this show. And uh, if you're listening, come on out and uh, maybe we can <laughs> get him out here for a, an interview, meet the cast. That'd be really fun. So I have to ask, I just not that it should be all about The Little Mermaid, but I was already singing on some of the songs. You'll be grateful I had my mic turned off during that portion. But <laughs> I, I wondered, Carson, you know, like you, we, some of these shows, if you read the title, you think, oh, that's great for kids, except for... So many of these shows are, are ones that have been around since we were kids or the grandparents were kids. And I'm curious how many people in the audience are really there for themselves, too, right? Like, I'm going to bring my grandkids or I'm going to bring my niece. But, man, I really want to sing some Up Where They Rock, Up Where They Run, you know? Up Where They Stay Up. No, no, I'll stop. But it, it, it's it for the adult. It's the kid in all of us, right? That's right. And, you know, that's the magic of a show like The Little Mermaid is I remember my... Uh, my aunt taking my sister and I to the movie theater to see that. And so that, you know, there's two generations there. And then um, I took my son when Rainbow Stage did it, and uh, you know, about 10 years ago. And now this new film has come out and a whole new generation of kids are enjoying it. And so you start to get this generational love for these impactful pieces that like are in your bones. And so I think that's, my favorite thing about our August show is that when you actually look out into the audience, they're there to see us. But when we look out at them and you see generations of families from grandparents down to little wee ones, my goodness, I'm a uh, grandparent myself now. So you get to feel this, uh, you know, this pull to generations and having a family experience. Carson Natchez, we know you got to go, but just very quickly here, it's a June 28th, but the official opening night is June 29th. Am I understanding that correctly? You're understanding it perfectly. Well done. Yeah, we open on Thursday the 29th and run until July 16th. And you can get tickets at rainbowstage.ca or calling 204-989-0888. Carson Natchez, Artistic Director of Rainbow Stage. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, I love it. Thanks. Rent. Rocking the stage at Rainbow Stage uh, late, starting at the end of this month, going to July 16th. And again, the website, rainbowstage.ca. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. In Winnipeg, I know there are places that tried to emulate this whole idea of doing 
doing these incredible plays, you know, in a park-like atmosphere, but there's just something extra special about being under the dome at Kildonan Park. It's a very special place. The The acoustics have gotten better over the years, and it's just uh, a big part of of memories for so many of us here in Winnipeg, so many of us in Manitoba, because, Loren, you're bang on. My Grammy used to take us, like, a gaggle of us to <laughs> to Rainbow Stage every single summer. And I, I think she used to save her pennies all year just so she could do that because it was such an important part of summer for her to to be able to take us all and and to see whatever was playing. She would pick between one of the two plays that were that that was playing and, and I've mentioned before my grandpa performed at Rainbow Stage. It's a special spot. Plus, if I may add there is a rooftop patio bar, so <laughs> and it's it's lovely. It's just lovely up there. Like I just my point being more, it's like you're going to the park, you're outside, you get to listen to live music, and I think it really is a good way to introduce your kids. Like if you haven't already, to the shows because the space is so special, right? You're not in an enclosed theater, you're outdoors. They're very good at you know the younger shows, the younger kids. You know they they encourage you not, not to be involved, but like you know go ahead and laugh and sing along and all those kinds of things. And so yeah, I love it. I'm I'm really interested in all of their entire program. And you can win tickets this week for Rent on the News with Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham. They've got tickets to give away uh, through to the end of the week. So again, Rent, Rainbow Stage, June 28th to July 16th. Official opening night is June 29th.